from Jeremiah 23, beginning at verse 16. Or verse 16, yes. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In the days to come, you will understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. So far, the reading from the book of Jeremiah, and then for a few verses from Romans chapter 10. Beginning at verse 8. What does the word say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of the faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Carter and Susan and their two, two children moved into Kitchener because of Carter's new job in the tech industry. And in their new community, as they landed up in Kitchener, they shopped around for a good grocery store, and then they searched for a garage for their car and for daycare places for their children and so forth. And then they began something that seems more popular these days than ever. They began church shopping. Strange words, but they began church shopping. Since they were compelled to be connected to a church, they were faced with the question as to which church they ought to attend. Especially in a climate of declining denominational loyalty, these sorts of questions become relevant. Driving around, they saw lots of churches and lots of other religious structures, 
But the question remained, how do they decide where to go? So they scoured the web, as people tend to do. But that didn't really help them very much, for there they discovered all sorts of different churches with all fancy, with fancy websites filled with pictures and blogs and descriptions of ministries and activities. So searching for a church was like standing in a grocery store trying to decide from the host of cereal boxes which one in the world you're supposed to take. Which church ought Carter and Susan to choose? And why? Well, they discovered that wasn't necessarily an easy answer or easy question to answer. Now, for the first 300 years or so after Christ, no one really would have considered such a question in spite of the heresies that existed. During those centuries, the choice was rather simple. It was between Christ and Caesar, the Roman emperor. And even in the days of horrendous persecution under Emperor Nero, for example, the, church, the, the choice was still relatively straightforward between serving and obeying Jesus Christ or obeying the Roman emperor. No one really had to shop around for a church since one merely joined the local group of believers. For the next 12 centuries, the choice was, again, rather straightforward. There really basically was but one established Catholic or universal church, the Roman Catholic Church. It dominated life in the Western world, which even today can be physically seen in many towns and cities of Europe where the skyline is dotted with church steeples. Traveling through Quebec in our country, even today one can see something of the former dominance of the church. Now, joining a group other than the Roman Catholic Church in those days meant that you lived under a constant threat or discipline by the established church. So Carter and Susan's questions would have made very little sense to the people in the 13th or 14th centuries. But at the time of the Reformation in the 1500s, people had very little choice. Even at that time, they had very little choice. But all of that began to change, at first slowly and then much more rapidly. And it wasn't really until the 18th century that the people, the couple's question could be widely understood. Today, it's asked all the time as people move from one community to another and as our society becomes increasingly transient as people lose denominational loyalty. How is one to answer the question posed? Which church ought Carter and Susan to choose, and why? As they shop around, what ought they to look for? Which church ought you to attend? I know that many of you in the choir are probably attending church where your parents go, but what about when you leave home and go and live on your own? What will you do then? Where will you go? How will you decide where you go? Now, in answering such questions, people come at it from all different angles. Some will suggest that you ought to make a choice of church on the basis of one's social needs. Are there other youth in the church? Are there decent programs? Is the church all about themselves or is it about the neighborhood? 
How much outreach does the church have? Is the music up to date? Are people welcoming and friendly? Will I be accepted for who I am as I am? Is it a safe church? Are the nurseries up to date and safe? Is it a place where I can leave my child without much concern for his or her well-being? Is the building accessible to the disabled? Is the sound system a good one? Are there things for my children to be involved with? Am I the same sort of person as the others in the pew? Are we roughly of the same ethnic background? Do we hold to the same sorts of values? All those are important questions in people's minds. And they're all questions plus many more to which people want satisfactory answers before they will attend or even become members of a particular congregation. And then we read the Belgic Confession. Now the Belgic Confession in Article 29 gets in on the debate and suggests that even before one explores the youth group or the nursery or the social setting or the style of worship, you may want to ask some deeper questions before joining a particular congregation to which you have arrived. Now, while Debray, the author of the Belgic Confession, may have some sympathy for those who choose a church on the basis of a functioning youth group or young adult ministry or on the basis of adequate nursery or on the basis of wonderful fellowship or whatever, he wants people to understand that they really ought not to judge a church on such basis because you may choose to go to a church that has an exciting and active youth group and upbeat and exciting services or an ultra-modern nursery and so on, but it can be a false church. The externals, while important, do not a true church make. False church, a non-Christian group, can offer these things as well as a Christian group, maybe sometimes even better. Not every organization that calls itself a Christian church may be deserving of that name, and so you need to do your homework. Now, I hear it so often. I hear it all the time when I go visiting and when I meet with people. There is no difference between churches, really, they all believe the same thing, and so it doesn't matter where you go as long as you go to church. Worship at the church of your choice is the slogan. And that's an attitude that's led to a spirit of non-discernment and to flagrant consumerism as people search for a church. Debray tells us, warns us, to be on our guard. Of course, the Bible does that too. The confessions reflect the teaching of Scripture. The Bible warns us against that too, to be on our guard, warning against false prophets and wolves in sheep's clothing and the like. There are, of course, differences between churches. And there are false churches and true churches. And so the question remains, how do you tell the difference? What sorts of things ought Carter and Susan to look for as they search for a new church home? What sorts of things ought you to be looking for as you decide on a church? Well, said Debray, the very first thing, perhaps the most important thing that ought to be found 
is that Article 29, quoting it, says that the church engages in the pure preaching of the gospel. So if you want to know where a church is at, listen. Listen to what comes from the pulpit. Because that will give you a pretty good clue as to what's living within the church. In other words, ask yourself the question, what am I hearing? Not only from the pulpit, but in the classrooms and, and everywhere else. What am I hearing? The pure preaching of the gospel, as Debray would have thought of it, would mean the very basics of the good news of Jesus Christ should be proclaimed. The Apostle Paul wrote, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So the pure gospel is one that focuses on Jesus, on his life, on his suffering, on his death, on his resurrection. It focuses on forgiveness. It focuses on salvation by grace through faith, on newness of life on living for Jesus, and so on. The pure gospel also recognizes and uses the Bible as its only authority and sure foundation. It recognizes the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and recognizes that confessing the Trinity is absolutely necessary for salvation. And so if you're hearing things from a pulpit that are not Trinitarian or that somehow would tell you that Jesus is not God or that the Holy Spirit is the power you plug into, you may start asking questions about Trinity and about whether that's a Christian church. The pure gospel is the unadulterated message that Paul sought to bring to the Jews so that they would respond and come to know the Lord Jesus as the Savior, as you read about in Romans 10. The true church teaches the things of God and calls people to repentance and faith as the Lord commanded the church to be involved with in the great commission of Matthew 28. The true church allows you and forces you to come face to face with the Lord Jesus. And it calls upon individuals in a whole community to live in grateful response to him. And so as Carter and Susan are searching for a church, they must be discerning. And they must listen carefully and critically and in spite of all the wonderful surroundings and an active youth group and all the rest of the trappings, they must ask themselves the question as to whether or not the Bible is preached and used as the ultimate source of authority. Can you, do you meet the Lord Jesus through the words of the preacher, yes or no? Is the preacher merely spouting a personal opinion? Or does he or she proclaim, thus says the Lord? In Jeremiah 23, 16 and 21, we read the Lord's indictment of false prophets. We read, do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hope. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. I didn't send these prophets, yet they've run with their message. I didn't speak to them, yet they have prophesied. 
So the question you always have to ask of every preacher is, are the words spoken from the heart? Is the homework being done? Has the preacher wrestled with the word of God and is what the preacher is saying now born out of that wrestling? Can you trust the preacher to be true to the word of God? Is he or she proclaiming the good news of Jesus or merely spouting some intellectual things or some religious cliches? Has the one who is bringing the word seen the wonders of the Lord? Is the preacher a true Christian or is he or she merely doing a job? Has God called the preacher to his or her special office? And does the preacher call view his or her task as a calling or just another job that he or she happened to choose for whatever reason? And believe me, you might think, ah, he's making that up. There are people standing on pulpits in Canada, in this province, who do not believe in the Lord. I can't imagine what message they're bringing, but that's the proclamation. They're, they're saying, they're standing in Christian pulpits, not believing in God himself or that Jesus is Lord. All these are all legitimate questions to ask as you're trying to decide in which church to be a part. So let me encourage you, it's perfectly legitimate to sit down with any preacher and ask him or her these sorts of questions. That's okay. Challenge. Sit. Visit. You are concerned, after all, to receive the pure preaching of the word. And it's not too much to ask of any preacher that the word of God be opened, that the gospel of reconciliation be proclaimed. Sir, we wish to see Jesus ought to be the expectation of everyone who comes to worship. And a preacher has an obligation to present Christ and him crucified. To be so discerning, however, will require some Bible knowledge on Carter and Susan's part. It's going to require some homework on their part. To be so discerning as you're wondering where to go will require some Bible knowledge on your part and some homework on your part because there are those who claim to be in the Christian camp, but actually they're not. Not that far from here, just down the road, on Bleams Road, is a church called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. On the surface, the name seems to sound legitimate. It may sound like a Christian church, and they may talk like they're a Christian church, but they're Mormons. And they, do, they preach a different Christ than the Christian church confesses. They're not Christians, even though it may sound like it. There are the Jehovah Witnesses and the New Apostolic Church and others who sound like Christians, who use the vocabulary of Christians, they may even have somewhat of a similar Bible to ours, but who are not Christians for various reasons. Now, Debray, of course, didn't have the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witness around in his day. Those were established, these were established much later than the 1500s. His direct attack in the 1500s was against the Roman Catholic Church of that day, a church with which he had some grave problems at the time. Now, while Roman Catholicism has changed dramatically in many ways since the 1500s, nonetheless, at that period of time, 
Debray went so far as to call it the false church, something we're going to have difficulty doing today. His definition of the false church includes the following, Article 29. A false church is one that assigns more authority to itself and its ordinances than to the word of God. It doesn't want to, be subje- it doesn't want to subject itself to the yoke of Christ. A false church, then, basically is one that's put the Bible down on a different level than the norms of the church or society or whatever. It's also a church that doesn't proclaim salvation in Jesus Christ as the only source of life and hope and forgiveness. Of course, in the Roman Catholic Church of the 1500s, much more importance was put on what tradition dictated and what the clergy said than on what the Bible said or taught. And the population in the pews was kept ignorant of the teaching of Scripture and was taught it only through the mouth of the religious leaders who interpreted the teaching of Scripture as it fit their structure and theology. And people were not allowed to ask questions or challenge the authority of the church. And if they did, like many of the reformers did, they ended up in deep trouble and were even persecuted by the church. One of the things I always tell my students Ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Just keep asking questions. That's okay. We're not a cult. We're a church of Jesus Christ where you have the freedom to ask questions. When the church begins to attach more priority to tradition than to the Word of God, some questions need to be asked. When all that is proclaimed from the pulpit is law and rules, serious questions need to be asked. When it gets to the point that it's the clergy who are telling the people what to think and to believe, again, some serious questions need to be asked. When the teaching of the church is such that Christ is no longer preached, there's no call to repentance and faith, when there's no talk about the covenant relationship that God has with his people, Perhaps the Bible no longer carries the authority it deserves, and perhaps the pure preaching of the word has disappeared. When Jesus Christ is no longer upheld as the only source of salvation and as the Savior of the world, but when Jesus Christ is merely a good example for us to follow, there's no longer the pure preaching of the word present. When sermons are reduced to just nice moralistic talks, or when we're reduced to, or when they're they're reduced to merely uh, upbeat psychological talks, some serious questions need to be asked. In other words, when the only thing that you ever hear from the pulpit is "be good, be good, be good," in the top ten lists of how to be a good Christian, some serious questions need to be asked. When everything is horizontal and not at all connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, to God the Father or God the Holy Spirit, then what's being propagated is Christless Christianity. And if that's what's being propagated, questions need to be asked. When the message from the pulpit is merely what people want to hear rather than what they ought to hear as based on the scriptures, the pure preaching of the word is not taking place and some questions need to be asked about the trueness of the church. 
That's, of course, what was taking place among the people of Israel as they were in exile in Babylon. Their desire was to return to the promised land as quickly as possible. And going to the religious leaders, they asked for advice and for a word from the Lord. And trying to be popular, the prophet said that the Lord had told them that, that the people would indeed return to the promised land and very quickly. They told the people exactly what the people wanted to hear. And it must have made those prophets popular with the people who were desperate to get back to the promised land. But the Lord declared that these people, that these prophets were merely spouting their delusions of mind. Their prophecies were ones of peace and prosperity for the people when actually there would be no peace and prosperity because the people had been disobedient and had done nothing to change. And despite the fact that the people continued in sin and did not repent, the prophets continued with their false prophecies. And God said of them, But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? It's a rhetorical question to which the answer is no one. Not one of the prophets that are declaring to the disobedient people that there would be no peace or no harm to the disobedient people has stood in the presence of the Lord and speak his words. They're merely making things up, and the things that they are making up are destructive to the salvation of the people. All down throughout history, there have been false prophets who have declared what the people want them to, de to declare. Even today, I have to laugh so often, but even today, the airwaves carry the voices and the images of those who declare health and wealth for those who but claim the promises of the Lord. As one writer put it, at its core, the health and wealth gospel teaches that God rewards increased levels of faith with greater amounts of wealth. In other words, wealth and holiness are connected. The more holy you are, the richer you will be. If only that were true. It's not. The prosperity gospel, as it's often referred to, is dangerous. Not the pure preaching of the word. And yet they're incredibly popular preachers. What are you hearing from pulpits and in church classrooms? The pure preaching of the word is the first mark of the true church. Is God's word clearly and honestly being preached? To answer such a question, one must be discerning and must be careful not just to swallow anything that is being taught. Everything's got to be checked in the light of the rest of the scripture, which means, of course, that we better know our Bibles. So where do Carter and Susan begin in answering their question about which church they ought to attend? Where do you begin in answering the question? By listening to what you are hearing. Amen. Father in heaven, we praise you for your word a word that leads us to the Lord Jesus Christ as the only source of our salvation. We pray, O Lord, that we may be true 
to that word. And as preachers, too, that we may be true to that word and forgive us when we are not. We thank you, Lord, that you gave to your people the Bible, a book in which we can read so clearly what it is that you have done to make all things new through Christ Jesus. We pray, O oh Lord, that we may be good students of that word and good stewards of that word. Make us a discerning people, a people who ask questions and who wonder about what we are hearing. We pray, O oh Lord, that we may be a people who are true to you. Bless the ancient words that are spoken week after week. And we pray, O oh Lord, that through it, your church may grow and may increase. To you be the glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.